This is the Construction Leading Edge podcast from BuilderMasterclass.com and ConstructionLeadingEdge.com. My name is Todd DeWalt, and it's my job to help you, the construction business owner and leader, eliminate chaos and maximize profits. Got a great interview for you today with a fellow construction systems guy. It's Brian Kaplan. And here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the art of delegation, how to get out of your own way, as Brian likes to put it. We talk about addition through subtraction, how you can compound your results as a business owner and a leader. Touch a little bit on cost plus versus fixed cost contracts. Some of the root cause problems that builders and remodelers really need to focus on. If you want to see changes in your business, there are a few root cause problems you want to focus on. We talk about, as you might imagine, putting putting systems and processes in place, and we even touch on the problem with free estimates. And Brian also shares a great book that uh, would be a good resource for you to read. Great interview for you here with Brian Kaplan coming up in just a few minutes. Before we get to that, I have a couple of words from my sponsors. All right, let's talk about a form of chaos I know you've experienced before, a bad customer review. Did you know it only takes one negative review to stop a potential job in its tracks? Your reputation takes years to build. Don't let one review change that. From Yelp to Google to Facebook, GoSite helps you manage and generate reviews all in one easy-to-use place. Research shows your customers need to see at least 30 positive reviews in order to trust your brand, and top-ranking businesses on Google have an average of 40 reviews. So a job well done and a happy customer aren't just revenue, they're marketing opportunities. GoSite makes it easy to build your credibility and authority as a construction leader by automatically asking your already happy customers for a new review with just one click. Take control of your customer reviews and turn your five-star success into more revenue with GoSite's easy-to-use mobile app. Get started for free at gosite.com forward slash podcast. That's G-O-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash podcast. If you are a project manager or a superintendent on a large construction project, you know how time-consuming it can be to collect information from your field teams and subs for the all-important daily report. Many PMs and superintendents spend hours a day chasing their teams for manpower logs, safety observations, and more. Then once you collect the information, you have to sit down at your desk or in your truck, manually enter the data into your project management system. Then if you have questions or if something's missing, you have to send text messages or emails or make calls. And then when you put this all together, it gets pretty chaotic. If that sounds like you, I'm here to tell you there's a better way. Field Chat is purpose-built to help you communicate and collect important information from your field teams and subcontractors. With Field Chat, You don't have to chase people down for visitor sign-ins, COVID assessments, safety orientations, toolbox talks, RFIs, safety observations, JHAs, hot work permits, manpower logs, and a lot more. Field Chat will chase everyone for you by using scheduled text messages or QR codes around the job site to collect the information you need. And because your field crews and subs already know how to use text and QR codes, they won't have anything new to download or learn. And if you have questions or need to send updates, you can use Field Chat to communicate with everyone via SMS text, all from one organized and searchable app. 
All of the data is auto-synced with your project management tools like Procore and PlanGrid, helping to save you hours a day and improving your documentation, keeping your company protected and your owners happy. Start your free trial today over at fieldchat.com forward slash edge and see how it feels to eliminate paper, data entry, and communication chaos on your projects. That's fieldchat.com forward slash edge. All right, here we go. Let's jump into my interview with Brian Kaplan. Enjoy. Brian, welcome to the podcast. How are things in Toronto these days? Todd, thanks so much for having me. And uh, things are, you know, as good as can be expected. You know, we're, we're still very much in the COVID lockdown over here. So, but uh, we're, all, we're all doing well. Yeah, so it's a small world. We were just chatting before I hit record that we've actually met in person. Seems like 100 years ago <laughs> at uh, IBS out in Vegas, 2020. Um, does not seem like, well, it's been a long 13 or 14 months since then. But uh, yeah, small world. Um, so you work with a lot of builders and remodelers. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what you do in a few minutes. But let's jump right into it and start with, um, let's start with this. The Let's talk about the art of delegation and how to get out of your own way. What's, what's behind that? And just explain that for us. Sure. You know, I was a remodeler for a very long time. And I've always kind of been a figure it out myself, fail fast type of individual. And I am doing my best to get out of my own way on a regular basis. And I think that's really what the, the nut of it is all about. And like you, I work with a lot of remodelers and, and custom home builders. And what I've noticed is that inner sort of thought process that people have of, well, this task just came up. I could just take care of this myself because it'll take me maybe three minutes versus three hours if I actually try to get somebody else involved and build a system that they can repeat. So, which makes sense. Short-term thinking is I can spend three minutes doing it or I can spend three hours putting together a system. What's wrong with that thought process? You know, and the truth is, I always say there's no wrong or right. I think as a coach, what we do is we bring awareness to some of the patterns and behaviors that people have and how they can sometimes limit their own success. And this is what I mean when I said, let's get out of our own way. So let's recognize much like one of my clients used this analogy years ago, and I love it. It's like, you can go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger and the cheeseburger is made the same way. It's got the same bun, the same condiments, the same, you know, accessories, the same meat patty, et cetera, et cetera. And it pretty much tastes the same, no matter where you go in the country. And it's that idea of how do we actually get out of our own way so we can get a recipe or a system baked in to our brand for every process that needs to happen or every sort of thing that we need to manage. And so it's not necessarily, again, a right or a wrong. It's more like, how do you leverage your future time? If you continue to just do those three-minute tasks, those aggregate into a lot of time that you spend on an ongoing basis, daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, versus engaging your team to kind of offload that so that they can repeat, you know, and, and basically get that result or those outcomes for you. Yeah, I like to talk about ROTI, return on time invested. So if there's yes. something you're spending an hour a week on, you should jump at the opportunity to spend eight hours to put together a process for it. Because once you get past eight hours, 
once you get the system in place, then every hour after eight hours is return on time invested. So instead of spending 52 hours a week on something, you've invested eight hours and you get all of that time back. And that's, that's really a, that's a fundamental mindset shift. And it's, it's tough because people are busy, right? So what do you say to people who are busy when, and they give you that funny look when you say, so I'm supposed to spend three hours to put a process together for something that I only spend three minutes on? How do you help them to think differently? Yeah, for sure. And actually, I love that you use those last two words, think differently, because I use that a lot with the the famous Steve Jobs and Apple campaign. Um, I was going to jump in there and be like, but Todd, I can't spend eight hours doing something. I don't have eight minutes to do anything. And I think that's probably what's jumping up. And it's a great question that you're putting back out here. I think the reality is, you know, it's kind of like when we say get out of your own way is recognizing it doesn't have to be you that actually does this. And that's the big shift as well. When we talk about mindset shift with, you know, creating systems and processes in your brand is it, it shouldn't actually be you that creates this because the truth is there's probably somebody that's more skilled at it, more knowledgeable about whatever aspect it is that could do it. And the reality is if you want them to adopt it, if you want them to actually have accountability, they need to build this process. As a carpenter, I was handed, or site super, I was handed plans in a budget for a project that has been spent months, maybe if not over a year in development. And I had to basically go make it happen type of thing. But I had no input on the development of that project. And now I had to deal with the fallout of all those sorts of things. I had to do it because I had to make the project happen. But for you know the, the business owners listening to this, the people inside your brand, your teammates, um, you know, I know people call them employees, but I call them teammates. Your teammates, basically, we want them to be accountable. We want them to have that entrepreneurial and ownership mindset. Well, the way that we do that is not by dictating and telling them what to do, is actually by getting them to create that process. Yes, we have to be involved in it, but we've got to get out of our own way and recognize that, you know, back to the eight hours or the three hours or whatever it is, that's somebody else's time that's going to help leverage an overall outcome and result for the brand. But they're, they're not going to do it right. And I'm the only one who can do it. And, <laughs> and I don't want to give up control. And I'm a perfectionist. I'm a micromanager. And what if somebody's smarter than me? These are all the things that are what I've found go through people's heads when they think about delegation. So what's the, let, let's get down to the real root cause. Some of the root causes that make people suck at delegation. What would you say <laughs> is on that list? I think actually a lot of those objections and those mind goblins that you just kind of spouted out there that I think is bouncing around everyone's minds are really the root cause of it all, right? It's that that thought process of, I am the smartest person and the right person to do this. I want it done my way, so I'm going to micromanage this process. And I think what it comes down to, and this is a really hard thing to do. I failed at this miserably over my 20-year career until the last five years of this, where I started to really get it, was that... Yes, I might know exactly how to do this. As a very you know, competent carpenter and builder myself, I could walk into a project, I could see a challenge that people were dealing with, and I kind of just immediately see this neural pathway in my mind of how to get to the end result, probably the most efficient way because I've done this a bunch of times. But 
what I had to recognize, and this was the big shift, was that I wasn't helping to mentor and set that person up or that team up for future success if I just came in and solved the problem for them every single time. As goes the saying, uh, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. And I think this is really what it comes down to when we talk about root cause is internalizing that one sort of, you know, famous kind of quote and understanding that if you just solve problems for people that you're going to consistently be looked to, to solve those problems, no one's ever going to take accountability. They're never going to move a problem forward on their own and have the confidence really to actually take leadership within the brand. Yeah. I I've heard so many people say, I want my people to take ownership. And I want them to operate like owners. I want them to, to be more accountable and I want them to follow processes. And uh, what I found is people who say that are typically their own worst enemy. The, it's the owner who's the problem because maybe they have well-defined processes. If you have well-defined processes and policies and you have a three ring binder or a Google doc full of pro- policies and procedures and your people aren't following it, you're the problem. Your people are not the problem. Either they don't understand it. You've tried to shove it down their throat. They don't know why they don't see the value in it to them. They don't even know it exists. Perhaps I've heard of that. Like my Mm -hmm. people aren't following our process. Well, do they know about it? I I worked with a guy did some consulting for about six months and he would pound his fist on the table and talk about dress code. We've got a dress code. And I said, where is it, Richard? (laughs) Is it published somewhere? Show it to me. And it didn't exist except in his head. But he, he was frustrated on a weekly basis because people weren't following the dress code that they didn't know about. <laughs> and so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I want my people to take more ownership. I want them to follow processes and procedures. There's a 92% chance that you are the problem. And yeah. that's, that's a good place to start. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I, that's a great point that you raise. And I get a lot of questions from people, you know, I'm a, a systems person as well, I think like you. And so for me, I've, I've created just an onslaught of things over my 20 years in the business. And one of those elements is a company manual. And this is something that, you know, probably everybody listening to this is like, either you have something like this, or you want something like this. And I, I would say, um, I'll give you a statistic. I'll just throw 98% out there. Although all of, you know, 52% of all statistics are made up and I just made that statistic up. So who knows if I'm right, but I would say 98% of us go about building these wrong. And I think the reality is, is if it's more than five pages, it's way too long. And most people's and, and reality is you could probably do it in two to two to four pages. If I think ours was like 35 pages. It was the type of thing I got somebody to read when we first onboarded them. And then you know where that 30 page or 35 page book ended up, which was not in front of them, not something that they can actually repeat on an ongoing basis because it's just not, you know, they're not aware of it type of thing. So I think this is, you know, sage advice I would give to people listening to this is always try to make it as simple and as concise and also as accessible as possible. I think to your point, Todd, of where is it? Show it to me. Where is it so it's in front of me on an ongoing basis so I know I need to follow this? Yeah, and um, I think the the key to any process or policy being actually showing up in real life is getting people to implement it, right? Obviously, these people have to do what is listed in the policies and procedures. And the key to implementation is buy-in. 
And what you said earlier is the easiest way. I think people overcomplicate. They think we have to have a policy for this. Well, that means I have to write it. And I don't have time for that. And I suck at writing. And, and they just don't do anything. And the answer is, you don't do it. Just go to somebody and say, hey, um, Joe, my shop manager, we need to put together a system. We're having some issues with this. I want to make your life easier. What do you think would be a good process for, for this, for getting equipment moved? Let's talk about this. You don't have to come up with the ideas. And you don't have to create the policy. Your job as the leader is to ask those questions and get people to to raise their head up long enough and start thinking about that stuff. And you'll be amazed that they will come up with a procedure that's maybe it's not perfect, but when they come up with it and they're or at least part of developing it, they will follow it. They'll actually run through walls to implement the system that they were part of developing and they will actively resist the system that they were not part of developing. That's something I wish I had learned about 15 years earlier. And I it would yeah. have saved myself and my team a lot of trouble. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And you're absolutely right. They will run through walls to follow a system that they put out there. And that's not to get too deep into the psychology aspect of it, but there's, you know, there's there's a bias inside of us is that when we actually say something out loud in a public group, whatever it is, that we will likely you know, fight tooth and nail not to break that lowest standard type of thing. Whereas we don't necessarily always strive towards our utmost goals, we will never break our baseline standard. And that's kind of putting it out there. Um, I just want to go back to, to something that you were talking about there, which was, you know, the idea of leadership and basically asking your team for help in being sort of humble and standing beside yourself. So getting out of your own way type of thing. And I think one of the predominant themes that we're really dancing around here is focusing heavily on the outcome as opposed to the list of tasks, responsibilities, or the exact process that you're trying to solve is we're looking for, you know, it's these buzzwords, client experience, for example, say that is like an outcome and say we're, we're working with somebody that's your pre-construction manager, for example, we want, we got to come up with one statement that basically capitulates, you know, very concisely what that person's outcome should be, right? And that outcome can very well be something along the lines of, you know, create an, ex- an unparalleled client experience while minimizing stress and blah, 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 type of thing. Nice and concise, but really just in general for everybody listening, whether you're trying to create a system or a process, whether you are creating an employee agreement and you're doing it like a position agreement, you know, always focusing on the outcomes is so much more helpful. And this is this is a big shift for a leader to do. I'm trying to personally do this myself um, in working with some virtual assistants and getting some other things done in my own business. And it's tough. It is very tough. I'll be the first to call this out because it's hard, especially if you're, you know, a nuts and bolts and technical type of person like I am, hard not to write all these different things and just focus on more of the outcomes and let somebody else do it. And like you said a moment ago, Todd, it may not be perfect. And that's okay. Because if you think about the first, you know, for all those hands-on people listening to this, first wall you framed, first door you you hung. No, it wasn't perfect. You learned and you iterated and you got better and better and better. And it's, I think we're we're almost expecting excellence on the first run, you know, as as owners and leaders. And I think it's important that we just recognize that it's it's an organic process, right? And it's going to develop and it's going to get better with time. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of thoughts there. Um, I call 
I call it delegation math. 80% done by somebody else is better than 100% done by you. And the goal would be to get them, maybe they start at 50%, but hey, you're still, you're still ahead. And the goal is to get them up to 50, 80, 90, 100%. So I think it's, it's great. I, I absolutely agree. Delegate outcomes and results, not tasks. If you think you're delegating, look at how, what am I delegating? Are you saturating your people with tasks and they don't understand how they tie into the big picture and it doesn't jive with how you would do things? Then you, you need to examine that. I, I was in a situation several years ago. I was on a, a team. We were managing the design development construction of this $60 million office building. And there were three of us on the team sort of co-managing this project. And one of the guys on the team had a personality style that was, you know what, we're, it's all about relationships and we're going to go out to lunch. And he said, I think what we need to do is we need, you know, Todd, I think you need to take this guy out to dinner and this guy out to dinner and this guy out to dinner and just talk about stuff and talk. And he He's a great guy, but man, he liked to talk. And <laughs> to the point where we had meetings that went from 8 a.m. till 1 p.m. And not only are five-hour meetings not my style, but that sort of communication and that sort of stuff just didn't jive. It didn't match. It wasn't my communication style. And he was trying to project his personality and his, per his communication style and his how onto me and it just didn't work. So I said, mm -hmm. hey, just guys, time out. Let's talk about what we want to accomplish. What's the, um, as Jocko Willink would say, what's the commander's intent? Yeah. What does winning look <laughs> <Love> like? <laughs> We're done. Yeah. Outcomes. Don't tell me how to do it. Just tell me what we want to do. And then things yeah. get a lot simpler. So when we focus on the commander's intent, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read Extreme Ownership, just look up commander's intent. That is a, an absolute game changer. So that's a great point. Delegate results and outcomes, focus on the what and the why, and stay out of the, the how they do it and the step-by-step -step stuff because they're going to do it differently than you do. So yeah, great yeah, stuff. All it. right, next, next, let's talk about yeah. what you mean by addition through subtraction. This sounds like common, this could be common core math or some sort of new math, but I have a feeling it's <laughs> something different. Tell me about that. It's a new math of productivity. Um, one thing I just want to add there is uh, just to that book, Extreme Ownership, is you know what we were dancing around there as well is that decentralized command, um, you know, conversation of like having people around you manage those hows as opposed to it being you. Um, so right in line with this, you know, addition through subtraction is I mean it's not my concept. Uh, it was in one of these books I've read recently. I've got a stack of them sitting beside me, and the idea of what can you cut out, you know, kind of like we're talking about outcomes. Well, outcomes need to have an end result. And so, you know, the, the late, great Dr. Stephen Covey, you know, design with the end in mind is always the way we want to do it. And then reverse engineer backwards towards what those building blocks could be. So addition through subtraction is very much looking at it and saying, okay, what do I need to cut out to make this goal or process or system or whatever outcome I'm looking for actually happen? And you know, it's kind of one of these interesting things because if you get real honest with yourself and you track your time and you look at where you're spending all of your efforts, and I know this because I was a remodeler for a long time, 
A lot of it is waste. A lot of time that you spend on things is waste. Let's just talk about email, for example. Email is one big, you know, really it's a big waste bucket ultimately. Not to say that it doesn't have its purpose and it doesn't connect people and all of that, but I think a lot of us could agree that you end up just sitting in your email inbox for a very long time. Is that is that going towards the outcome that you're looking for, whatever result it is? And I say all this, and part of this is also the reality that we're not robots, we are human. So there's always going to be a little bit of waste here and there. And we can't just move strategically from one you know, task or process or outcome to another, to another, and fill every single minute of every single day with incredible deep work. That's just not reality for sure. But if you think about the concept and it's easy, addition through subtraction, three words that you just have to memorize and think about the things that you could subtract that then you could bring in other, you know, you talked about time on, uh, what was your, what was your acronym that you called, talked about? ROTI, return on time invested. And I always say time to value. So similar concept, right? It's just like, what value am I producing by the time that I'm putting in? Is it a one-to-one? Is it a one-to-five, a one-to-ten? Or is it a one-to-a-hundred? You know, and, and that's really kind of looking at addition through subtraction. The subtraction part is things like email, which is a one-to-one thing for the most part. Um, you know, there's other things that you do, I'm sure, in your business and in your life that are just, you know, basically keeping the wheels moving type thing, but not really moving the needle forward type of thing. So that's, that's the basic concept that, that I think, you know, is, is a great one that I've been trying to internalize this entire year so far. I know we're only in February, but it's been, it's been working well so far. So how does one go about determining what could or should be subtracted? Yeah. And it's a great question. First and foremost, you need to track your time. If you're not tracking your time right now, it's something that you need to do. There are a plethora of things that you can use to do this. And it doesn't have to be exact. The first thing that people usually say to me is, oh my gosh, you want me to like put my time somewhere. So I have to spend time tracking my time. And I always say, well, yeah, because you don't know what you don't know. And you have a guess of what you're spending in terms of time buckets, but I guarantee you when you track it, it's going to show you something very different. And so you can use a bunch of different things. An electronic app is probably the best thing to use. There's lots of like lightweight products out there for anybody that's, you know, a co-user or BT user. You've got the time clock there that you can use and just create yourself as an employee and track your time that way. You can do it on QuickBooks. I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can do this. And yes, it is a little bit of an annoyance. You have to build that habit, build that muscle memory, but eventually you get the hang of it. So that for me, that's the first step because we've got to be aware of exactly where you're spending your time before we can then critically look at the, the tasks that you're doing and say, well, what would happen if I cut this out? What could I sort of replace with that? Because that's really what ends up happening. Kind of like you think of a subway in New York or the trolley, you know, on Powell Street in San Francisco, you get one or two people that jump off, four or five people jump on type thing. And you just use that image in your mind to recognize that you can cut out a bunch of things, but something else will always be there waiting to take that spot of time. So it's being very intentional about actually thinking about what I should put in that replacement time. Yeah. Are there a couple of things that people can just do right off the bat to eliminate some of the the time wasters? Anything come to mind that you should just by default, just opt out of it right away. Yeah. An easy one for any construction business owner here is stop driving around and picking up materials. 
and stop being the one that actually does it. Cause this is a huge time waster. And I think a lot of people are like, but Hey, you know, I'm driving right now to, to the lows of the home Depot when I'm listening to this podcast. So this is a good use of business, you know, time and development and you're not wrong, but what else could you be doing with this time right now? If you weren't in the truck sitting in traffic or driving across town to pick up, you know, a small lift to two by four or something else. So, you know, inside of that, there's, you know, delivery services that are starting to pop up everywhere. We have a couple here in Toronto that'll basically bring you construction materials on demand. All of your, of course, all of your vendors, you know, COVID notwithstanding, we've all had supply chain issues, but in generally normal times, all of our vendors are happy to deliver to us. And I hear a lot of people say, yeah, but they charge me $50 or $75 or $100. And and this becomes a, a question of how do you value your time, right? We go back to, you know, your acronym, my acronym, thinking about what's that return on your time. And that's something that's, I think you've got to think about. So that's a very easy one. The second little kind of part to that one is encourage your team to be more involved in the procurement of material. And that means bring them into the process a lot earlier, have them do the takeoffs. That helps not only your estimating process, but it helps, you know, handoffs is a, you know, kind of a taboo thing. I, I hate handoffs personally in projects. They, are, they always go messy, no matter how well prepared you are. So the earlier you can bring people into that process, the better. And so the little sort of thing that comes out of this is the material side is that's already been worked out. They can confirm it. They can take ownership and control of it. And once again, coming back to what we talked about at the beginning, if you want accountability and buy-in, we'll give them the capability, the confidence and the position to actually make those changes happen or make those things happen on a project. Yeah, that, that's my number one piece of advice for small business owners is stay out of stores. I'm like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? And that's a whole other rabbit trail I could go down. But if you're spending a lot of time picking up materials, that is a, that's a symptom of some underlying issues, poor planning, poor scheduling. Maybe you're avoiding the stuff you should really be doing. You're like, oh, you need me to pick up some lumber? I, I'll, I'll be happy to, to go spend the next two hours running lumber and it's 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 a huge a huge issue a couple of things i would throw in there <clears throat> number one would be if you want to create time turn off notifications on your phone yep um, i would delete social media yep. from your phone just delete it Op, start start opting out of things delete i deleted the linkedin app <clears throat> um, instagram um, I have Facebook on my phone because I, I run some, some ads on Facebook and I need to see that, but I could probably delete that, but turn off notifications on your, just turn off notifications, period. Yeah. And you'll be amazed at how much time gets created when you get, you'll get bored. You'll be bored. It actually happens. Um, for, you know, and I, I, I tell people to do the same things, you know, especially the email one. That's like the first one. It's like, just turn all those email notifications off. Don't have the little badge show up when you have those emails on your phone, the sound, or on your computer. You're talking to people and then their eyes dart to the upper right corner of the screen because they see a new notification come across. So I mean, it's a great point that you bring up with the email is like a very good one to start with. And then the social media one, I hear a lot of people rumbling right now, but you know, Instagram's like a place where we've created community and we learn from each other and all of this. And I you're not wrong is the truth, but I can tell you because whenever I go on there, I can see all of, you know, the people that are in my network, I can see the little green lights on and, you know, y'all are just there all day. 
not doing much else kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 And social media, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they spend billions of dollars learning how to distract you. Yeah. That's what they do. They are a giant distraction. So I am all about posting systematically and intentionally, but do it at scheduled times and just do it intentionally, but don't let them, don't let them suck you in because they, they are experts at distraction. <laughs> yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. They, they yeah, want you to, a... they want you to go on there and post and then they want to show you a quiz. I heard an insurance commercial, uh, this quiz to ask you what type of bread you are. And 17 minutes later, you're not sure if you're like a <laughs> brioche bun or something else. And you're like, where the hell am I? And that's, that's exactly what they want to do. Yeah. It's like a, you know, I was, you know, make a joke about the YouTube rabbit hole. You start on someone's channel and then slowly with all those suggestions, you, you know, and it's something you just said there. I just want to call out because this is something I don't think a lot of people think about you said like, you don't even know what type of bread you are or where you are. Right. And that's, that's a, that's a psychological thing that happens to us, right. Where we go down, there's a good dovetail here to the sales process. Um, you know, when you are sitting on YouTube and you, or Instagram and you go through a quiz and then you do this and this and this, you end up at someone's account and you're down on the bottom of their page, looking at a post or something like that. You've forgotten what the initial intent was, right? Why you even went to YouTube say in the first place. So the dovetail here, I'm going a little off script um, on the sales process is when we're meeting with our prospects, walking our clients, building a relationship, we do our very best to keep them future minded as an outcome minded, as opposed to those individual features, which we start talking technical, most people glaze over and you take them down this really bad rabbit hole. that doesn't feel too dissimilar to that sort of emotion that you just created with that little story there. So, cause I felt that as soon as you talked about it, I was like, Oh yeah. I know exactly what you mean, that feeling of being completely lost, distracted, and not aware of why I even came there in the first place. And that's how your prospects feel when we bore them with technical jargon and features when we're in that sales process. That's a tough one. That That is <laughs> that is a sacred cow from a sales process. I, I think people just beat their head against the wall and they want to talk about their company and they want to talk about their experience and they want to talk about the insulation they use and this, these cool bells and whistles, building science stuff. And you love that stuff. That's great. But I can tell you most of your clients, they don't care. They, they don't understand it. They're, as you said, their eyes glaze over and you're like, why did I, how did I lose them? We were having such a great conversation. Well, you love talking about that stuff, but yes. they, they probably don't. They're, they're more interested in what, they're more interested in. And that's what you need to focus the conversation around. For sure. Yeah. So addition through subtraction, subtraction, start just subtracting stuff, track yeah. your time, look at, you know, audit your time. What am I spending my time on and yeah. what can I subtract? So my challenge for everybody listening would be to pick one thing you can subtract. What's an app you can delete from your phone, a distraction. If, if you are a, a, a notification junkie, then pick one app and just turn off notifications. So you can go check them. They're not going anywhere, but you're just not going to get notified and distracted and interruption. They are, think of them as hijackers. They, mm -hmm. social media and email, they are hijackers. They are trying to hijack your agenda and your day and your schedule and your attention and use it for their own purposes. That's, that's the way I think about that stuff. Yeah. And something else um, I'll just add there is, 
you mentioned being intentional because I hear a lot of people rumbling, oh my God, if I, if I delete Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, where, where, how am I going to actually continue these conversations and all of this sort of thing? And so about four weeks ago, I deleted, I went through and cleaned house and I deleted all the apps on my phone that are social media related. So I've got zero of them on other than the Facebook messenger, because I have a group of guys I go golfing with, but that's about it. <laughs> um, aside from that. And now what happens is I go there and I'm very intentional. I check it about five times a day. I'll go in. I spend probably a minute and a half to five minutes, depending on how many conversations are happening. I might scroll because I see a couple of my clients posts at the top. So I'll engage with those posts and, you know, it's a quick check-in for me to see how things are. And I've just gotten really like speedy at it. And the, the point there that you made that I'm just emphasizing is being really intentional with that time. So yeah, it doesn't mean you can't check it. And I tell people like with email, you know, don't check it. You, most people check it, what, like 30 times a day, probably in the workday, maybe more. So just try moving to like once an hour. So it doesn't mean you're not doing it anymore. It just means you're just starting to train and rewire yourself. And this stuff is very hard. Back to your point about, you know, these social media giants being really great distraction, you know, pirates, really. Uh, for all those that haven't seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, go watch it because take it with a grain of salt. But at the same time, there's definitely a lot of fact in there as to what your daily life is a lot like. So with these with these apps. So um, yeah, those, those are great points. And I think we can do a lot more with that time. You'll, you'll get bored. You'll, you'll all of a sudden discover all this time that you're like, what was, what was I doing with this time before? Yeah, 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 which is a good problem. Hopefully, you'll be strategic yeah. and you'll do some, some high-value activities with that <laughs> stuff. All right, yeah. next, uh, let's talk about cost plus versus fixed cost contracts. Yeah, Big topic. I get this question a lot. I don't know if, if do you get this question a lot as well? There are there are distinct camps. I don't know that people ask the question a lot. It's just there are people who do cost plus and that's mm -hmm. all they do and they're not interested. And then there are people who do fixed price. And yeah. maybe and maybe they've never done. I would say what my experience has been. Most people do one and they haven't done much of the other and they're just curious about it. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So I, I mean, I've done both. I started off fixed cost early in my career and then worked for a bunch of companies in the second sort of decade of my career and a bunch of those were cost plus builders. And it was my first exposure to it. And it's, you know, it was an interesting concept. I see a lot of benefits to it. And I was actually chatting with a client of mine last night uh, funny enough over Instagram. Um, but, uh, nonetheless, we were just chatting back and forth about the different models and all of that. And, and he's a relatively newer business. They've been charging fixed cost. But one thing that's been happening for them, much like I'm sure everyone can, can understand and relate to this is that their margin gets squeezed for this, that, or whatever could be the fact that they didn't estimate enough material and left time where, I mean, as humans, we're awful at, you know, estimating the amount of time something will take us. I mean, there's not one person on this planet that's probably good at that, in my opinion, but um, we might have a general sense, the better, you know, the more you track your time. But nonetheless, looking at your margin getting squeezed in fixed costs, cost plus can seem really attractive because you're like, hey, basically the way we used to describe it is for every dollar we basically spend on your behalf, whether it's labor hours worked, materials consumed, or trade partners that we hire on your behalf, we charge you a dollar 
you know, and then XX, XX is your markup, whatever it is, could be 20, 25, 30. The challenge with cost plus, of course, is that very difficult to charge the proper markup that you need to charge to be wildly profitable and profitable in the sense of what it takes to actually manage the overhead properly, build your brand, you know, reinvest those dollars back into your business. So it's, it's very challenging when you put it in front of somebody. For instance, here in Toronto, 20% is pretty much the top that you can show to somebody and have them still question it. But then you get into more of that feature conversation we talked about a second ago, as opposed to kind of selling value as we talk about or outcome focused, right? Here's the product I'm going to give you, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, for X dollars. This is really, you know, this is a packaged price. This is what you get. This is the outcome, the experience, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes a lot easier in some senses to go that fixed cost route. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people would say who do cost plus is, look, when I sell the deal, when I sell the house, I don't know what's going to be in there. So the only way, the only thing I can give them is an estimate with a bunch of allowances, and then they have to make all their selections and they don't want, they don't know what they want. So we just don't want to deal with changes. Therefore we just do fixed or we do cost plus, which, yeah. which works, but in my experience, the problem with cost plus is the arguing happens after the money has been spent, after you've incurred the cost. And then you have conversations like, well, wait a minute, why did it take the framing crew 26 hours instead of 24 hours? What's this extra for yeah. $18.52? Um, a good friend of mine tells a story about a large project. It was somewhere in the north neighborhood of a million dollars, and it was a cost plus contract. And he was flipping through the invoices, and he saw a, a Home Depot invoice that had a candy bar on it, like a three dollar candy bar. And he's like, "What? What's this candy bar for?" <laughs> and well, the superintendent picked that up, and it made the client question, "Well, what else? What else <laughs> are they putting on there?" And it ended up. Uh, what, what my buddy, this is Spencer Paget, said that candy bar cost him $40,000 because it sure. got to the end of the project. The client lost trust and that candy bar cost him 40 grand. Um, so yeah, it, it, so what, what is, let's talk about pros and cons in, in sure. your experience. What are the, the pros and cons of both types? Yeah. So we'll stick with cost plus. I mean, something that you hit the nail on the head on is like the details are often unclear. I think at least I can speak for my market and in the markets of people I work with, which is all through the US and Canada, people are racing to start and they don't give the planning process, the, the time and space it needs to happen. This is actually just how we are programmed, all of us as humans. It's why planning and pre-construction is something that you'll hear everyone say, we could do a better job planning our projects. Like every single person pretty much can resonate with that concept because, but we just don't do that. It's the same reason why we don't strive always towards those upper goals that we have, but we don't break our baseline standard. That's why you're getting in your truck and driving to Home Depot to pick up a lift of two by four because you didn't plan it, right? So this is kind of part of the challenge there. So, I mean, with, with Cost Plus, actually I heard uh, Nick Schiffer, I think, I think it was Nick Schiffer on a, on Brad's podcast. And he was saying how like, essentially you're building a prototype. And, and that's when you're in that custom market, if you're doing custom remodeling work, you know, I did very large scale projects here in Toronto. I've done all 
across the gamut, but a lot of those really highly detailed, very narrow margins in terms of the design intent and all of that, you don't really know how long it's going to take. Some of the details are fuzzy and really you've never built this before. It is a prototype. So how could I possibly look at job costing and tell myself, hey, I feel comfortable. I could ask an entire team, but we're not really going to be clear as to what that's going to be. So just remember, you're building a prototype. So that's that's something that can be really beneficial for Cost Plus. And then getting to you know Spencer's story about that candy bar costing 40000 that's a powerful image. That's a powerful statement for people to just resonate with. And my solution for that, or what I would say in response to that is, I've always told people this about Cost Plus, with great transparency comes great responsibility. And you can add in great fiscal responsibility or financial responsibility there. So the reason I'll tell people start with fixed costs is because there's less moving parts. Not to say that you can't you have like you can't not cost your projects properly. All of that stuff, of course, we want to learn how to estimate properly. We want to make sure we're capturing all of our costs of goods sold. All of that, but it is a bit more forgiving, and it also doesn't require you to be fully transparent to your client. That is a complete different shift from the model of operating in fixed costs. So unless you have, say your bookkeeping is rock solid and you've got a report that you've decided that you're going to share with your client every single week. Yes, people, every single week, you should be doing your finances. Um, then don't do cost plus because you're just not ready. And that is something that can really snowball to Spencer's story. If you're missing a candy bar or the favorite topic is tools, they see a tool purchase and they wonder why that's there. And we all know that that's an overhead, not a job cost. And that you know, exact statement that he said, oh, it, it tunes people's thinking to, well, what else couldn't have been included? And then also that comment about, well, did it take 24 hours or 30 hours? And that six hour difference, who's responsible for that? And there's all these little feature conversations that come up in Cost Plus. So it takes not only a rock solid financial system, but an awareness of how to speak about the process of Cost Plus so that you're very clearly outlining for a client what they can expect, right? Because ultimately, that is really how they're going to judge things when they go through the process is what did you incept in my mind at the beginning? Did you talk about doing change orders? And, and I think what you said, Todd, was like, the arguing of costs comes after those costs have been spent. And this ties into that tracking system. And it ties into the fact that one of my favorite things to talk about with Cost Plus is the difference between contingency and change order. Because for me, contingency is a bad word. I don't use that in fixed or in cost plus contracts. I've basically taken that out completely because it, it leaves it a little bit ambiguous. You start with a contingency, you draw down on that. At a certain point, it's gone. Now you start doing change orders. You're, you're basically polarizing someone's mind. They don't understand it because you, you've not basically followed through with one consistent process from the beginning. And I think to the point that you were talking about is like, we've got to be able to look ahead capture those costs before they're actually coming. There's usually a financial tsunami out there and you just don't see it yet. And typically for all those self-performing people listening to this, it is your labor in your company. We all know that's the hardest one to control. And it's basically having a labor tracking system so that you can watch ahead, have a six week view. So you know that that tsunami is out there and you know where you're sort of going with this process. So I just threw a lot out there, but the big things I just want to kind of summarize for cost plus is, it can be helpful when you're building a prototype, when you're building these super high-end, really detailed projects that you've never built before. Very hard to do a fixed cost and not lose your shirt. The other thing is that you really need that, that great fiscal responsibility because with that transparency you're showing your clients, 
you need to be really on top of those finances in terms of what you're showing people because it's very, very important. Um, and it's that early and often, uh, as I always say, I use those words when I describe anything to do with cost awareness to a client, fixed or cost plus. Uh, when we talk about change orders, it's always early and often. These aren't a taboo thing. I know a lot of people are like, eh, change orders, you know, it's got a negative connotation. But the truth is, they are a financial instrument. They're a financial tool that helps to mitigate your risk as a builder. You take a ton of risk. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is manage that risk. Yeah, there are a couple of uh, things that that I would recommend people do. Say so when we're talking about whether it's light commercial remodeling, custom homes, a couple of keys that I've found. Um, you mentioned one of the root causes of problems on projects is the lack of planning. And, and you mentioned there's this tendency, we want to get started. We want to get started. And I've seen that so many times. It's, well, we just need to get a contractor on board. We just need to get contracts on. We just need to, to break around. We just got to get started. Nope. That, that is wrong thinking. That is a, a mental trap. If you are constantly trying to get to the next step, then you are asking for trouble. So a couple of things I would recommend. Um, I agree with fixed cost, fixed price contracts. Um, I've been on both sides. I've been the, the owner, the, the clients, I've been the contractor, and I don't like cost plus because it's just messy. Maybe it's cost plus with some fixed components, fixed fee, fixed general conditions, things like that. There, there are ways to do that. My advice would be go fix costs, do a pre-construction agreement, get paid to do all the planning and the design work upfront, make all the selections, close all those gaps from allowances and contingencies and material selections, close all the gaps with subcontractor pricing by getting firm prices, have a stack of purchase orders, get paid to put all that stuff together, close as many of those gaps as possible during pre-construction, and then lock that in with the right escalation terms in your contract. Right now, lumber prices are just yeah, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, crazy. <laughs> yeah. And But push the planning, stop trying to get to a start and um, use a pre-construction agreement and then lock in your risk, assign risk through good subcontracts and lock in your profits through good subcontracts. That's from the commercial side. I spent most of my career <clears throat> In commercial, and there is no way in hell we would ever let a subcontractor on site without a subcontract agreement, without all the uh, risk management stuff in place. So if if you are telling people, "Hey, go out and do this job, and then send me an invoice," and then you're frustrated, <laughs> it's your fault. Yeah, it's your own fault. <laughs> you have to you have to assign that risk. You have to lock in the pricing, and yeah. the best way to do all that stuff is with a, a pre-construction agreement, do all the planning that you need to upfront and stop trying to rush the process. Focus on a successful completion, not just a quick start. Yeah. That, that's what that's is it, an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And you know, that, that, you know, is an exponential result when we talk about construction and, you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, getting paid for your work is so critical. It's one of the things that we did successfully as a brand and as a as a quasi demand design build company here. But we we did all of that planning. The one thing I just want to call out for the people that are trying to move to you know avoiding pre estimates or intentionally not doing them and doing pre construction and all of that, which 
we would both highly recommend that you do. Um, one thing to be really aware of is how many of those you actually sign on at a given time, because what ends up happening for me is I get people to this place where they start getting paid for it, but then they get into the service debt side of it. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky. We could record a whole other podcast on that, but um, I just want to call that out and say, as you're hearing this, if you're estimating for free right now and you're going to start charging for it, fantastic. We both support you immensely. Be cautious of how many you sign on at the same time and be okay with telling people we can't start this design work until X date. Look in your calendar, map it all out. That's another big one that I see with any new client I start with. We pull all of the projects and design things on to a, you know one sheet. We look at it all and we're like, how are you going to, there's not enough hours available throughput with all the people on your team. Even if the carpenters could do the planning for you, still don't have enough hours to manage all of this. Um, and going back to one thing you said uh, is you said you've been on, you know, the client side and, and uh, you know, of Cothbloss and all that, and it's messy and you didn't like it. And that's these open, you talked about gaps, but it's like a story loop, right? It's like this thing that's open in our brains. And as humans, we're wired to want finality to things. That's why, you know, a fixed cost is a more attractive option for your prospects because they understand that this is going to be the cost for this outcome, as opposed to this, and if, you know, for everybody listening, if you're going to think about doing cost plus, please don't treat it like a blank check. It is not a blank check. It is not your client saying, hey, I'm just going to continue to pay you. And, you know, then when I start running out of money, I'll start getting upset. I mean, that might happen. But the reality is you're going to be in a heap of trouble if you treat it that way. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting how you reflected on that and said, hey, I don't really like that either. It's messy because that's, that's something wiring in our brain that's, that makes us feel that way. Yeah. And certainly cost plus works in, in certain yeah. situations when it's done well, it works, but it, as you said, it's not a blank check. It's all about transparency. You better have the financial reporting, have robust financial reporting capabilities in place, have a good system and set expectations, it, uh, customer education. It just, just make sure you have all of your, your ducks in a row and it, it either one will work. And that's when people ask me, what's the best one? Well, it depends. It depends on your your work, your accounting systems. Are you using, do you have a system? Do you are you using co-construct or builder trend or Procore? It, it really depends on on your operation and, and how you want to go. For sure. Okay. Last question. You've got the the unique vantage point of working with lots of builders and remodelers from all over the countries, maybe Canada, U.S., maybe even outside. What are the top one or two really root cause problems builders and remodelers should focus on? Like, what's the the eighty twenty? They've got eighty percent of their symptoms and chaos and problems are coming from twenty percent of these root causes, and they're like, I got to change my business. I don't have much time. What should I really focus on? Yeah. What would you say those things are. Yeah. Um, so, so the first one, I, I just want to, I know we've talked a lot about it in this podcast today, but I really want to hammer this point home. And I use the concept of inside out mentality. And what that really means is just like we talked about at the start of this is getting out of your own way is recognizing that you might be brilliant with numbers. You might be brilliant at building. The you know great example here that I can give you is as someone who's a, I'm a red sail carpenter, that's our certification up here in Canada. And I could look at something and say, okay, I know how long this is going to take me to frame. It could be a hand cut, complicated roof. I've done it a lot. So I know how to do it. I know the steps and the sequence and all of that. When I move to the estimating role, 
I was awful at it because I was thinking about it in the context of how I would do something as opposed to recognizing the people around me, the assets around me and what their process is going to be like. So this is a big dovetail to that inside out mentality of we've got to get out of our own ways. We've got to recognize that if you really want a growth mindset, part of having a growth mindset is recognizing that you need to be humble and you need to move yourself out of that sort of central hub, move yourself to a spoke in the wheel and let that wheel turn by the collective effort of the team. And this is a very hard shift for people to make. But every time you're going to do something, just ask yourself, am I the best person to do this? That's really, I would say, the one question I would tell you to ask yourself. And then I have a second one as well, which is, we're all familiar with probably, you know, the the shiny penny syndrome, where, and this is again, wiring that we all have in our brains, we have an idea, we get excited by it, we do a little bit of dabbling in this, we learn a little bit more about it, maybe we start Maybe it's a new spreadsheet. You're like, hey, I'd really like to track. I heard this thing on a podcast about a work in progress sheet, You know, looking at all my projects together and seeing what my gross profit's going to be for the year and tracking that in real time. This sounds exciting. So I'm going to go and try and start doing that. So I go and find a couple of YouTubes and then you know, I listen to another podcast and I start building it. And then I lose steam because I come up to a roadblock or something. Maybe it's one of those notifications from Instagram that takes my attention and boom, it's gone. And so I, I would tell people that, you know, shiny penny syndrome is really about boredom is we get bored with certain things because they either become difficult or we get into that delivery, that service delivery of whatever that task or idea is. And we kind of come emotionally speaking, there's an excitement, there's a rise, there's a hormonal change in us from serotonin and dopamine that gets us excited. And then as we come on the backslope of it, it's like when someone cuts you off in traffic and if you get you know, that fright or flight, you get red in the face and then you start coming down, you know, that's the natural process for when we have ideas and things like that. So I would say to you, get bored. And what that means is if you have an idea for something, first determine if it's got a good return on your time investment, first and foremost. And if it does, well then, you know, basically start developing this and make sure that you actually push through. And Something that's really front of mind for me right now is I'm reading um, Who Not How um, by Dan Sullivan. If for anybody that is a construction business owner or a business owner in general, if you have a team, even if you're a company of one, this is a fantastic book to read. This, is, this book is all about not doing it all yourself, is about even when you're like, how do I find this person to do this? Think about how you find the person that finds the person to do this type of thing. And so the concept is that stop focusing on the how, like you said earlier, Todd, and start focusing on the whys and the what's type of thing. So, and to do that, we might ask for help. We might find out, well, instead of me trying to figure out, you know, I want to say, I want to hire a personal chef. This is an example from the book. Instead of me thinking, well, how do I find a personal chef? Who can I ask that can find that personal chef for me? It's a big shift there. And so this is, these are kind of the, the concepts here, really like three of them that I put out there. Inside out mentality, fight that shiny penny syndrome. So ideas are great, but the execution is everything. And then, you know, make sure you're asking who, not how with everything that comes up, because you can't do it all. There's a finite resource of time and, you know, being able to sort of stand outside yourself and ask for help is how you actually implement this growth mindset. Yep. I love the who, not how, because typically what we do when we face a problem is how am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix that? And that puts blinders on, puts you in a box. 
and you start thinking about the the resources you have available. And going back to extreme ownership, one of the principles they teach is cover and move. Yeah. So what I tell people is what I try to remind myself is, Todd, when you run into a problem, don't ask. The first question should not be, how am I going to solve this? The first question should be, who can I ask about this? Yeah. Somebody else has either invented this wheel already, they've solved this problem, or they can solve it for me way faster than I can. And I have spent so much time trying to solve problems, tech problems, for example. Now it's like, you know what? If there's an issue with my website or something, my first move is I'm going to go ask for help. I'm going to go to Upwork. I'm going to find somebody to solve this for me because I don't have time and or the desire to go learn it. So great stuff, great advice there. And then, yeah, shiny penny syndrome. I run into people periodically that have what I call information bulimia. They have like this unhealthy, they have this unhealthy relationship with information and they want to consume information, just constantly consume information. And then, Ooh, there's a cool, as you said, there's a cool way to track work in progress and Ooh, here's a cool system. And they're accumulating all these things and trying to figure out how to shove it into their process. And my advice is don't do that. You may you may not need to take in any information. Start with what do you want to accomplish? What are you? What systems are you trying to put in place? And then go look for those solutions. It's great. You want to consume information, but find objectives that will help you move the needle and go look for information for that instead of just going through the interwebs, picking up little bits and pieces that just drag you down and you get overwhelmed. So great advice there. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, talk a little bit about the kind of work you do and where people can connect with you. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, and it's been great connecting and, and chatting with you as well today. Hopefully people took some nuggets away. I think as we both know, there's a lot of ideas in a lot of these podcasts. So, you know, like Todd challenged you early on, I'm going to bring this one back up because I think it's really great is just what's the one thing that you can cut out in your, in your routine right now, whether it's notifications, one notification in particular, a social media app or an app that really saps your time, something like that. I think that's a really great, I'm sure there's other takeaways that people took from today, but that's an action item that I really like. It's super granular. You know, you can do this right now after you stop listening to this. Um, so for me, I, you know, I was a builder for a long time. I've worked in all different ends of the business, new construction, uh, high-end remodeling, low-scale remodeling. And, uh, you know, essentially I work with construction business owners, remodelers, uh, specialty trade partners and custom home builders. You know, I've got a, a variance of clients from across the U S and Canada, nobody outside of those two countries yet. Um, but, uh, but maybe sometime, sometime soon, been I in Australia for a while. But um, nonetheless, uh, we work on, you know, getting systems. I, I do a lot of coaching, you know, consulting and coaching. They're different things. Consulting is like McKenzie's the world, right? It's here. I'm going to solve this problem. Take this and go. Uh, coaching is let me give you the support and the confidence and let me let you get there on your own type of thing and make sure that I steer you away. I put, I put some blinders on. Sometimes we need those, right? To focus on this one specific thing. And as a coach, that's, that's really what we do is we help to encourage and empower people to then do the same to their teams, right? It's that extreme ownership approach. And uh, yeah, we, we work on everything from, I, t I do a lot of sales training. Uh, I never really considered myself a, a great salesperson, but I got really good at it. I had a lot of great mentors and 
I know this is something that people struggle with a lot and there's a lot of confidence issues around this and rejection issues and all of this sort of thing. So we do a lot of coaching on that. Um, both my parents are accountants, so we do a lot of financial training as well. And then I happen to always love the tech stuff. So, you know, uh, like you, I'm a partner with Co-Construct and you know, working, you know, to help people integrate that platform into their workflow and all the other platforms as well. Um, you know, I love all my children the same. So I, uh, <laughs> I help people do that as well. So, um, and yeah, the best, best place to find uh, more about me is uh, constructionconsulting.co. And on Instagram, it's the same handle at constructionconsulting.co. Good stuff. Well, I really appreciate it, Brian. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Todd. If you're a project manager or a superintendent on a large construction project, and you're tired of chasing people down for daily reports, safety orientations, JHAs, or toolbox talks, here's some good news. Field Chat will chase everyone down for you by using scheduled SMS text messages or QR codes around the job site to collect the information you need. Start your free trial today at fieldchat.com forward slash edge and see how it feels to eliminate paper, data entry, and communication chaos on your projects. That's fieldchat.com forward slash edge. All right, be sure to check the show notes for those links. Go check out the resources that we shared and start putting some systems and processes in place for your business. It is an absolute game changer. Connect with Brian on social media where he shared. Go reach out to him on his website and thank him for being on the podcast and uh, see what he can do for you. As always, my name is Todd DeWalt. You can check out my resources at buildermasterclass.com. If you want to schedule a call with me or find out more about what I'm up to, head over to constructionleadingedge.com. And as always, I appreciate the ratings, the reviews, the comments. You can check out this podcast on any podcast player that's out there. It's on YouTube as well. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Todd DeWalt. I will see you next time. A happy customer isn't just revenue, it's a marketing opportunity. From Google to Yelp to Facebook, join the more than 30,000 small businesses already using GoSite to request, respond, and manage reviews, all from one easy-to-use dashboard. GoSite puts the power back in the hands of you, the construction business owner with a mobile app that transforms how you run your business by making it easier for customers to find, book, pay, and review your services online. Get started for